Welcome to Bible Fellowship Church's Sunday Morning Messages. Our podcast records a Sunday morning sermon from our pastor, Dr. Don Trust, other church leaders, and special guests. We hope you enjoy it, find it inspirational and enlightening to your understanding of the Bible. Life can be hard, but God has revealed Himself to us through the Word for our salvation and growth as believers. To help support our ministry, please consider becoming a subscriber and financial contributor. Links to donate are on our website at bfcforyou.org. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the songs, the hymns, the words, that they, the reality that they represent. We pray, Lord, that within our own hearts and lives that we would know to the fullest measure your joy and your peace. Uh, that we might truly experience the presence of God in just the everyday um, activities, uh, challenges, as well as opportunities that present themselves in our lives. We know, Lord, that your grace is sufficient. We know, Lord, that you provide the strength and the provision for life that we need in order to live in such a way that we honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we truly uh, grow and continue to develop in, our, in the spiritual realities that are given to us through the Word of God. So we pray, Lord, now as we look into your Word together, we ask for your blessing. We ask, Lord, that you'd open up our understanding, help us, Lord, to believe, and then, Lord, to commit to live uh, the way that you, uh, re- the things that you reveal to us in the Scripture today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I'm going to be in Isaiah 55 right now, and uh, beginning at verse 10, You may remember we're in Isaiah 59, as we make progress through the book of Isaiah, as we're moving to Isaiah 66, which is the last chapter. But I want to back up uh, to a couple of spots, because they've just kind of weighed on my heart uh, in the last several days, as I've been thinking, as I've been living life. And in verse 10, it says, for as the rain and the snow, we know about the first one of those, the rain, right? How many of you out there know about the snow that come down from heaven, come down from the skies? You know, the word heaven is used in Scripture to represent the atmosphere, okay? The word heaven is sometimes used to represent that which is on the other side of the atmosphere that we call outer space, where the planets and the suns and the moons and all those things are. And then there's the heaven that's outside of the universe, and that's where, uh, that's, the, that's the domain of God's throne. And there's a whole existence on the outside of this universe. God, is, God looms larger than even the universe. Uh, he's not contained by the universe that we live in, but he, he, is, uh, he transcends it. And so the word heaven is used here of the sky. Rain comes down from the sky, right? There are rain clouds, and I guess you could say there are snow clouds, right? And so, for as the rain and the snow, they come down from heaven, and they do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So, water from the rain, water from the snow even, Uh, the spring rains, you know, the snow that begins to melt in the springtime, all that according to God's arrangement of things, is meant to water the earth so that the earth can uh, be healthy. It can produce 
You know, the vegetation can bring forth food for the animals to eat as well as for you and I to eat. It gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So in like manner, you see, verse 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. So there's a purpose in God's word going out from his mouth. For God speaking his word is meant to produce, it's meant to uh, create within the ears and within the lives of those who hear something that is incredibly beneficial. So shall my word that goes out of my mouth it shall not return to me empty. It's going to, it's going to accomplish God's purposes. But it shall accomplish that which I, and this is the Lord speaking, purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I would say that's a that's a that's a foundational, that's a foundational uh, doctrine, that's a foundational principle of faith. If you can't get past this one, there's nothing on the other side. Okay, um, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. That was the theme of our songs today. I don't know if you recognize that. There was a lot of peace and joy, even though some of the, some of the tones were somber, right? It kind of like there's peace and joy, uh, even in a life that has its, um, its trying times, its difficulties. And uh, I was talking to myself and, uh, and also to the Lord. And uh, just in recent days, and I was just, I was just remarking to myself just how, how much joy, how much peace that there is in my life, and that, uh, and that just, just, just the peace of God, New Testament said that passeth understanding is not something that can be dissected. It's not something that can be detailed out, but the peace of God that passeth all understanding, and. Uh, you know, on the one hand, I don't know how a man or a woman can get through life, get through day by day without, without, without this commodity, God's peace. Probably because many people do it because they've never had that. And I've heard people remark that say, the one thing I need, the one thing I need in my life is this sense of peace. That's what's missing. I have, I have everything. I've accomplished all of my goals in life. And life is as I planned it to be. But, but, but there's an emptiness there. There's a sadness there. There's a, there's a, there's a hunger there that, um, that I would trade all of that to be able to have. And I wasn't thinking about that particular thought, but I was thinking about, about this, this peace and this joy and just how marvelous it is to be able to have that. But also, I realized that uh, that peace and that joy, it, would be, it, is, it is not likely that we value it or experience it unless we've gone through periods of our life of struggle and stress, unless there's been an absence of, of perceived joy and peace. I think that's what gives such value to it. can't say that all of my life has been filled with this peace and tranquility, this assurance, this peace. There have been times where it's, been, it's been, been bottomed out. But I look back now on those times, and I realize that God was working even in those periods of my life so that I could come to the point where the experience of his peace and his joy in this life is, uh, is, is something I thought could, could, 
that a human being could not experience. I wouldn't go back to my 50s. Some of you say, I'm still not looking forward to getting to my 50s. Or my 40s, or my 30s, or my 20s, or even in my teens. And now it used to be because what was in that stage of life wasn't as good as what was in the next stage of life. Now I can say, now I can say there's not anything in life that I've had previous to this that's as valuable to me, that is meaningful to me, than the sense of God's peace and uh, uh, purpose and presence in my life. I mean, I just want to go outside when people come in and say, isn't it a wonderful day? You know, I take Lucas for a walk or Everett for a walk, and I can tell them, it's a nice day, isn't it? And it's not just striking up conversation. It's a nice day. It may be cloudy. It may be windy, or it may be sunny like it is today. Um, um, but he says here in verse 12, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. That's when you talk about the rain that comes down that produces the green growth, and he says, so in the same way, my word that I send out will accomplish its purpose in your life, if you will have it, is to know this joy and to be led forth in peace. God's leading in our lives, God's direction in our lives leads us from peace to peace to more peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. Now, I'm talking to myself, and I'm hearing the mountains sing, so probably I need some assistance here, don't you think? But you know, this is, uh, this is uh, using poetic language. We're in Isaiah, but uh, she'll break forth into singing. I think that's, I think that's when, I, when you go out and say, it's, just, it's a nice day today, you know? Even though the world is full of chaos and clutter, is full of disappointment, and there's just horrors going on all around us. Even in the midst of it, it's almost like you're in a bubble. It's almost like you're in a bubble in which God's word has spoken. And what it's done is given us this peace and joy that transcends the things that are going on in this world. And it's linked to our willingness to grow in his word. It is limited by our unwillingness to walk in his word. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in the singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Don't you love that? Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. It shall, it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I thought that was just beautiful. It kind of captured my sentiment, you know, uh, from this week. We're going to start at verse 15. For thus says... The one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Now, that, that, that just sounds kind of like good religious language, doesn't it? But who is speaking? It's the Lord himself. And he is pausing to communicate something that he considers of utmost importance. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who is grandier than uh, any other person, who inhabits eternity. That means he transcends the universe. Even time, you see, even his existence cannot be measured by time. He inhabits eternity. There's a sense in which God is present, even in the future, even in that which hasn't occurred, hasn't happened yet. He inhabits eternity. Sometimes in Scripture, God will speak about the future, about something that's yet to happen, and he does it in the present tense as if he's already there. I kind of like that because I don't know what the future holds. If I were to go back 
And if I knew some of the things that were going to happen in my future, I might be a little hesitant about walking into those days uh, unless I knew that I was going with the hand of the Lord. The Lord's already been there in that sense. He already knows the future. So we have every reason, you see, to be comforted, uh, to have assurance of His care and His provision. He even knows when we, when we fail. He even knows when we flop. And there's times in my life where I have failed or flopped. And I said, well, I guess that just closes the book on that. I guess that just sealed my fate. You know, how can I go on after having had this stumble? And yet, and yet I realized that God's grace and his foresight knew that even before it happened. And yet his care and his provision goes on. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him, so he dwells in the high and holy place, and also with him or with those who is or are of a contrite and lowly spirit. And I would ask the question, how many people do you know that are characterized by a contrite and lowly spirit? They walk into the room and you just see neon flashing signs out, out above them there. This is the one. He is lowly. He is contrite. Hmm? Most of us are what? A little cocky, huh? A little proud. How do you know you're, how do you know someone is a little cocky, a little proud? They kind of look down their nose at others and say, ain't that person stupid? I mean, honestly, we like to elevate ourselves. Sometimes we do that by remarking on the, the uneducated uncouthness of that one or those people. That's the opposite of being contrite, right? And having a lowly spirit. The Lord says here, notice, I dwell in the high and holy places. And those that I invite into my presence, those that I welcome into my domain, are those who are characterized by a lowly spirit, by a contrite heart. I don't think we know very many people like that, do we? And then he goes on, there's a comma after that, Lowly spirit, he says, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. Obviously, even those who lowly contrite, they need to be invigorated. They need to be uplifted. They need to be strengthened. What does it mean to be? What is? What does it? What does it mean to be lowly? Let's see if I can. It means bowed low, humiliated. Bowed low, humiliated. You see, to be, uh, the spirit of the lowly is one who, in which life has, has humbled them. Life has beat them down. But in the midst of that, they've kept their eye on the promises of God's word and on his grace. So to be lowly means what? You've been beat down. You've been humiliated. The contrite. Of course, English might tell us something, but... Here in the Hebrew, uh, it's, it's used different ways, but here it's used of oppressed, oppressed. So a contrite person, we all think of someone who's lowly as just, I'm so proud that I'm humble. You know, you know, I'm not like all them other arrogant fools. I'm just humble. And to be contrite means I'm just calm. You know, I'm just, but here the words are used here as a lowly as someone as those who have been humiliated, those who have been oppressed, 
those who have suffered, that they have personally, through the experiences of life, been, been beat down. And those experiences have come from the hand of God because he loves us and because he's gracious. In Hebrews, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, it says that if you belong to the Lord, if you're one of his children, you will experience what? The discipline of the Lord. Remember? And it says that for all those who belong to the Lord, he loves and he disciplines. And, uh, you know, I asked Tirza how her boys are doing. They've been sick this week, some kind of cold flu, so they're out today. But sometimes she'll tell me that Everett's being, what's the word she uses? (laughs) Sassy. Okay, full of himself. Uh, Not being cooperative with mama. And of course, you know, this conversation going three wees. And I said, tell Tizzy, it ain't so. <laughs> okay. Everett's not sassy, you see. And so, uh, so she has to discipline. She needs to bring him off of his high horse. And uh, she, she's very wise with this. She doesn't yell at him. Doesn't tell him he's a loser. You know, doesn't beat him into submission. He realizes that he is an individual and that she needs to treat this, this uppityness that he has, this rebellious streak with wisdom and prudence and whatever, so that, she can, so that she can help, under the direction of the Lord, mold his spirit so that, so that, so that, it, that he has a lowly spirit and that, and that he has a contrite spirit before the Lord. That's what mamas do, and daddies too, right? We work with our children because like the Lord wants children like this, he wants people like this to be in his presence that he invites in. Our role in life is to work with our children or even to work shepherding as shepherds uh, to help people move along in their life so that they are increasingly those people that the Lord can is pleased with and that he can work with. Verse 16, For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. Now, he's speaking in the context of Israel, because what have they just gone through? The Assyrian Holocaust, remember? And in this part, in this part, the latter chapters of Isaiah, he's pointing to the future and said, and the Babylonians are going to whip you behind too? That's what you have in store for you. And so they're, they've cried out to the Lord in prayer. And they said, Lord, save us. Lord, deliver us. We need your divine intervention. And the Lord responded by saying, you know, look how, look how, you know, look how your pride, look at how you're, you're behaving. And then later on in Isaiah, they said, okay, we've been changing our ways. We're starting to do the right thing. So now save us and deliver us. Said, you don't hear our prayers. So anyway, we went through some of that. And for whatever purposes of God, he says, he will, I will not contend forever. He's contending with those people. By the way, let me remind you that there are two groups of people being dealt with in Isaiah. There are those that we would call the pagans. There are those who do not, um, who do not honor uh, the God of the Scriptures. Uh, they either have other gods or they have no God. And with their lips and with their lives, they mock him. They say his rules, his discretion 
are antiquated. We live by a new code, our own, the pagans. Uh, then there are those who, who uh, espouse the God of the Scriptures. In this case, it would be Israel. Which ones... Is he, who, which group is he referring to here when he says, I will not contend forever, nor will I be, always be angry? Israel. You're not talking about those on the outside. I love it when we go to church and we hear a message and we say, yeah, those guys deserve it. Go ahead and get them, God. You know, when we don't realize that often the message from above is meant to have direct application or implication to our own heart and lives. But just because we can visualize in our mind someone who is a dud, somehow that may escape, that may remedy us or excuse us from any responsibility for God. But God doesn't see it that way. There is a possibility that he may, he may deal with it, he may contend with you. There may be a possibility that God will be angry. I didn't know, you know, God doesn't get angry, right? If you love somebody, you don't get angry with them, right? Don't smile at me like, do you love that man? You ever been angry with him? Never. Okay? <laughs> Never. Okay? So anger and love can go hand in hand, right? As a matter of fact, you know, if you love somebody, you want the best for them. And sometimes when they are contrary, well, we won't go there. Nor will I always be angry, for the Spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made. In other words, there are limits. There are limits to our endurance. In 1 Corinthians 10, I think it is, it says there's no temptation or trouble or trial or situation that comes in your life. You see, there's no temptation uh, that comes in your life which is not common to men. It's not out of the ordinary. We, it's something similar by all people. But God will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. Which simply means he may take us to the limit, but God's also going to provide a way in which you can bear it, that you can hold up under it. And, that should, and when that, we experience that, then we should know God's, we should, we, we're experiencing God's grace, and our hearts, even in times like that, can be rejoicing, can have joy, we can know his peace. Because we see even in those times like that when God is contending with you. Or there seems to be, there seems to be that you know, we look to his face for a smile of approval and it seems like we're getting a shake of, of disappointment. Even in times like that, his love is the constant. And our trust in him, our faith in his word is what sustains us. I'll just read verse uh, 17. You know, because of the iniquity of, of, because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. And he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. That just gets me, you know, that um, God's discipline in a person's life will have one of two reactions. It will, it will, it will humble them and give them a contrite spirit, or he went on backsliding in the ways of his own heart, shaking her fist at God. My way is best. I'm just going to be angry. <laughs> and I'm going to disguise my anger at God by being angry at you. Obviously, we're not going to get to Isaiah 59. I needed to share that with all my heart this week, because I'm, I'm, I'm increasingly convinced that... Um, the best thing that a man 
can do for himself or a woman can do for herself, for their family, for their circle of friends, for those that they care the most about in this life, is to understand, believe, and do the Word of God. Anything less than that is to miss the mark, is to fall short of God's purposes for an individual's life. And it's these verses like this in Isaiah that encourage me to continue to learn and grow. And also encourages me to stand up on a Sunday morning, whether there's two people or 10,000 people, and declare and to speak and to announce, proclaim the Word of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for your Word. Once again, Lord, we'd ask that it would find home within our hearts and minds, that it would push us and, and move us to make those changes within our understanding, within our, the way that we live our lives, so that we might, so that we might know in the fullest measure possible uh, your peace and your joy and your assurance as we move through the various phases and events of our lives. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his work of redemption, where he bled and died so that we might have forgiveness of sin, that we might have a home in heaven with a heavenly father that loves us and is seeking to care for us uh, throughout this life. We ask, Lord, that you'd open the eyes of our understanding, that we might see more, more fully and more completely, more clearly, uh, the way of the Lord in our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to the Sunday message. We hope your understanding increased and maybe discovered one or two things you can use to improve your relationship to God and to fellow believers. If you aren't a member of a local church, we invite you to come check out Bible Fellowship Church.